Well, let's look at Mark 4, verse 1. Read through these passages um, in the parable of the sower. We've been on a series called Good Ground. For some time, we're going to continue on that. Actually going to pick up where we left off last time. Continue on that. Same emphasis. Mark 4, verse 1 says, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and some birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. In verse 9, he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so then if we skip down to verse 14, Jesus explains what he was saying in a parable, in this parable. It says, The sower sows the word. So the seed represents the word, the word of God. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And we talked about some of these different aspects. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root. They have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the wor this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So we see different scenarios where the word was sown, but it didn't produce, and then finally it did produce in some of the areas. And so, of course, we want to be the ones that produce. You know, I've I don't think I've ever had an actual garden of my own. Did we ever have a garden in any of our houses? No. My mom had, my, she's a big time, she liked to garden in our backyard. Um, you know, now they have an acreage and she's got a good sized garden. You know, I've never gardened, but I saw the gardening growing up. Uh, I know one thing, uh, when we were planting these different, because I did get to help sometime early on, you know, planting seeds and stuff. But you know, you were looking for a crop. You didn't just go plant the seeds so that they could be taken away by the birds. You're not feeding the birds in that time. You're not putting the seed down so you can feed the birds. You're put, you may be doing that. I know like some people in our congregation do that, have, have seed where they put it out specifically to feed the birds. Okay, that's one thing, because that is the crop. That is the fruit. I see birdies outside my window. Yay, it's working. So that's the purpose. But when you're planting seed on the ground, in the ground, if the birds take it, that's not the right result. That's not what you want. You know, if the rabbits get into it, or the deer come over, and it doesn't produce, that's not the right result. If you got a bunch of thorns and weeds coming up, and then your crop doesn't produce, that's not the right result. Right? Yeah. 
What you want is to get whatever you planted. That's tomatoes or squash or zucchini or whatever, carrots. You want to produce. Well, the word, we want it to produce in our lives whatever, you know, area, all the areas, but whatever the word um, is saying in a given area, that's what we want it to produce in our lives. And if we hear the word and then it doesn't produce, then that wasn't the right result. We want to get the right results. So this is telling us all these things that, all these ways that we can get derailed so we don't get the right result. And so we want to avoid those. You know, Jesus took the time to give us this parable and then we have it in written form. And so we can see some of the areas where Satan is going to specifically try to steal the word from us so that we don't produce. And so if we know that, then we should be armed and aware. So it doesn't, it's not uh, desirable that we hear and then we go, we hear the parable and then we go and fall into these same things when Jesus specifically told us this is what could happen with the word. And we've gone over a number of the different scenarios, and that's why we're taking the time to do this, is so that we can see in our own lives, you know, how these things actually happen. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We looked at this last week. We'll look at it and then go forward. It says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Everybody say common. 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 So he's saying temptations that, that have overtaken you. He's talking to the church at Corinth. He said these are common. You know, one thing the devil try to tell you is you're going through something nobody has ever seen before. Nobody's ever gone through anything as hard as you are going through, and nobody's ever seen it. It is unique because here's the thing, not making light of anything we might face, but if we're convinced that it's unique, then the, the thing that follows up is there's no way around it. Nobody knows, nobody you would ever talk to has no way around it. I mean, God himself doesn't know how to get around this. That's what he, he may not, if you say that, it sounds foolish, but that's, that's the connotation is you are in such a fix that there is no way God himself could even help you, so you're stuck and you just, you can't get out. And the temptation is just you. You're the only one out of the 8 billion plus people that is going through this now in all the history of the world, nobody has ever seen it. There is no solution. Because if you believe that, you're stuck, right? Give up. There's no way you can go anywhere. If nobody had ever seen it and there's no way you could ever get out of it, then what's the point? Well, that's, the Bible said... It doesn't say that. Verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So it says the, the temptation's common. God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, there is a way of escape. Every, everybody say, there is, there is a, way a way of escape. Is that a definite statement? Yes. Is that wishy-washy? 
that like, well, if it's a sunny day and 75 degrees, then there's a way of escape. And you could see it. But if it's cloudy and foggy, sorry, no can do. No, it doesn't say that. It says there will be a way of escape. So that means if we're being tempted, and what does temptation mean? You know, people say tempted. That means, you know, we, we list off a few sins that we think, oh, that's what it means, you know. Um, you know, people have, you're, you're doing uh, certain habits that you shouldn't, or you're looking at something you shouldn't, or eating something you shouldn't, you know. No, this is talking about temptation, period. If you're tempted to get off into something that you shouldn't, when all these things that we read in, in um, the parable of the sower, there's things there, they're not sin in themselves, but they will distract you from where you need to go. Anything that you're tempted to get off of what God would have you to do, I mean, you realize you can, you can do something that's not sin in itself. I mean, let's say you were, you know, um, in a certain town where you were supposed to be, and then you move to another town where God didn't want you. Well, you can't say everybody living in that town is living in sin. It is not that that town is wrong. It's just for you. If God told you to be somewhere and you said, uh-uh, I'm going to go over here, now that's wrong. And you may be tempted to do that, right? But the, that doesn't mean, I mean, somebody said, I, I'm moving to so-and-so. Not everybody on the planet's going to fall off and go, you're going there? No. No, because there's nothing wrong with going there. But, if it's, but it's like, you know, Jonah. <laughs> he's trying to go the opposite way where he's supposed to go. That's the problem. Nineveh was a bad place. I mean, it was a bad place. But... Not every word is Nineveh, you know. So no, there is a way of escape. You're tempted to do something that is just trying to get you in the wrong place. Doesn't matter what it is. It's, and if you get in the wrong place, if you let go of the word, if you do some, get into something you're not supposed to be in, if you let Satan get you offended, whatever, uh, then, then you're not going to produce as you should. Okay, so the temptation is trying to get you to be derailed. The temptation is so that you won't bear fruit. But there is a way of escape so that you can stand and you can get through. Let's read this in a couple other translations. We read these last week. but uh, In the NLT, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, in the NLT, it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So it says that he won't allow it to be more than you can stand. It doesn't mean it won't feel like it's more than you can stand. It means, but it won't be more than you can stand. And it's not God bringing the temptation. See, you know, people will say, well, God won't give you more than you can bear. That's not what this verse says. Is that, that means that God's just in control of everything and he's bringing something into your life and just... You can handle it, but it's here. No, there's a devil. There is a fallen world. There are crazy people on the earth, and something may just come in your face. And what God's saying is, is it will never be more than you can handle. He's not the one that brought it, but he will bring you over. Yes. If you look to him, there's a way out. Doesn't matter what the temptation is, there's a way out. See, that's different than somehow God's just Mickey Mousing with you, and he's making it happen and just saying, you can handle it, but let's see. No, he's saying, this is in front of you. I didn't do it, but you can handle it. There's a way out. Look to me, and it will always be 
something you can handle. In other words, God will not allow it to overtake you. That means if, even if you feel like it's going to overtake you, that feeling is wrong. You can bank on it because it's the word. Let's look at it in the um, Amplified. It says, No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful to His Word. He is compassionate and trustworthy, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, He has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well so that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. So that means he is always, it says he's always has been, always will, is doing it now. He's faithful that to provide a way out so we can overcome, we can resist. Satan, one of his tactics is to get you to buy the lie that you can't overcome, that you must succumb, because then you won't resist because you're like, what's the point? And then you fail. But every time we've ever succumbed to temptation in our life, all of us have, whatever the nature of it was, we didn't have to. That's the point. We didn't have to. We're not condemning ourselves. You don't need to be condemned with the past. You just bring it to God, get, go move, start moving forward. But what do we know about the future? Anything in our, in our path that's a temptation, it's not too much, and we don't have to succumb. We don't have to yield. Satan is trying to get in, he'll bring, temptation will come into our life and he'll bring feelings and thoughts and push on your emotions to get you to feel like you can't, you can't stand. You can't resist. This is too much. And he'll try to get you to say that. If he can get you to say, this is too much, I can't take it anymore, that he's just getting you to declare your defeat. He's getting you to agree with him instead. God said, what did God say? He said, there will be a way out and you can get through it without yielding and you will overcome with joy. That's what the Bible said, but Satan's trying to get you to take sides against the word and to be defeated. And he brings very real emotions, very real thoughts, very real, real pictures of what he's trying to paint your future to be and get you to buy that that it is inevitable. Has anybody ever had a thought of something, video of something, play in your mind, and the devil just told you it's inevitable, this is, this is what's going to happen, but it never did? Well, that happens. If that happened once, it should give us a clue that that's not true, and that then what he's, what he's trying to push on you at any given time, it's not true. It may feel true. It may feel in 4D true. You know, not only in the three dimensions, but you feel it as well. Shaking your, you know, you feel like there's no way. And he'll try to be like, there's no way. See, this is inevitable. But no, the Word of God says that there is a way through, a way over. We read that, reread these couple scriptures. I'm going to read them as we're, we're going forward. 2 Peter 2, verse 9 says, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He knows. Everybody says he knows. He knows. So he knows how to do it. He knows what's our job. Just follow him. Yep. Jude 24, 25, and 25. Jude has one chapter, so it just has verses, no chapter. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to keep us from stumbling, but we got to cooperate with him. We have to look at him. We may feel like, no, we're stumbling. We're going down. No, God, you're able to keep me. There's a way out. There's a way through. There's a way not to yield. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. God is able to make us stand. Let's look at Luke 22, verse 31. We read this. We, we closed with this last time. Um, the scenario where Jesus is leaving the earth. He's going, you know, this is when he is starting the process that he's going to be crucified. And here he's talking to Simon. We're going to read another version of it. Where he's, raised, he's talking to all his disciples, but this specifies what he said to, to Simon Peter. Verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your face should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you, or before you will deny me, deny three times that you know me. So Jesus is telling him, you're being tempted. Satan has asked for you, but I prayed for you that after you come back to me, you would strengthen your brethren, but he said that your faith would not fail. And now Peter, he goes, now I'm ready, God, Lord, I'm ready to die with you. And Jesus said, no, I'm telling you before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So we know Jesus said there's a way out. He was being, Peter was being tempted. Peter didn't acknowledge. He, he just looked and said, I can handle it. I can do it. I, I, I can, I'll, I'm going to die with you. If I have to, I can die with you. See, there was temptation coming, and Peter didn't recognize that he wasn't ready. There was a way out. And Jesus is trying to help him right now, and Peter is like, no, nah, I got this. He didn't realize where he really was at. Let's look at Mark 14, verse 27. Mark 14, verse 27, um, another account or another version of this. It says, Then Jesus said to them, to his disciples, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 28, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And even, he's saying, any, even if they all fall, I'll still be standing. Verse 30, Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you to, that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, if Je does Jesus know what he's talking about or not? Jesus told him, I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. And look at Peter's response, but... He, Peter, spoke more vehemently and, and said, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So they're all like, yeah, me too, me too. We're going to die with you. If it goes down, man, we're, we're right there. We'll die with you. And, and Jesus, Jesus just told Peter. He told him, all of them, 
you guys are going to be made to stumble. And then he told Peter specifically, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And Peter, the word Jesus told him, you're going to fall. And Peter came and said, nope, if I have to die, I'll stand. And then everybody said, yep, us too. Basically, Jesus, you're wrong. You don't know what we're made of. Jesus knew exactly what they were made of. And the fact is, you know what happened. When stuff went down, they're all gone. And Peter himself did exactly what Jesus said. Three times he denied that he even knew Jesus. Went from, I'm going to die with you, to, I don't know the guy. What are you talking about? He did not... He did not realize where he was really at. Jesus told him where he was really at. He didn't listen. He could have said, is there any way I can avoid this? You're telling me I'm going to deny you. Lord, is there anything I can do to not deny you? Because you know when God says something, when there's a prophecy, you see this sometimes in Scripture, and maybe this will answer questions sometimes, you know, there will be a, a word come through from the prophet. Somebody, something's going to happen. And then somebody repents and something doesn't happen. Well, didn't the word come true? That word was given under the present circumstances. If this stays, this is what's going to happen. And you see somebody repent. And so judgment was withheld. It didn't happen. Here, Jesus is saying, you're going to deny me. Well, Peter is coming back saying, I'll, go, I'll do whatever. And, Peter said, and Jesus said, no, you don't even understand. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Now, if Peter would have changed, I mean, aligning with other scripture, there's potential that something could have happened. That he could have said, is there a way? Because if you line up, if there's a temptation, there's always a way of escape. We don't know what had happened, but if you look through the rest of scripture and you look at what the, you know, our text is, if he would have said, Jesus, is there anything I can do? But he didn't do that. He assumed he knew. And see, sometimes it's real easy to talk. Talk about what you're going to do before stuff starts happening. And when stuff starts coming down and there's pressure in our life, then you find out where you're at and what you believe. And now then, that's what we need to know. There's a temptation to give in. There's a temptation to go in the wrong direction. What are we going to do we need to know there is a way out because Satan will try to pressure you and say there's no way. It is a foregone conclusion. You will fail. And it's easy to talk about what we'll do, but we need to know in the middle of it, we can hold fast. And that's much easier said than done because your emotions can tell you there is no way. Your emotions can tell you I'm done. I failed the last 380 times, and this is just another one. But that's not what the Bible said. But talking about it, now our words are powerful. <laughs> and, 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 and words that are believing words are powerful, but just words, bleh, 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 without any belief or false belief. What should our belief be based on? The Bible, what God said in his word or what he said to you specifically. And if he hasn't told you it or you're presumptuously saying, I'm going to do something, you're, you're like Peter. Ah, I'll, it doesn't matter. 
I'll go, I'll die. He didn't even stay around to get hit, much less die. He's out of here. I mean, he, you know, he took out his sword and tried to cut off somebody's ear, but then that didn't work, so he's out. It's not like he took, I'm not bashing Peter. I mean, we don't know what we would have done in that situation. We're using him as an illustration. Poor Peter gets beat up, you know, a lot. You know, just words wise, wise like, but we're not, we're not belittling Peter. We respect him. I mean, he's the only one that walked on the water. He did a lot of things. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he didn't, it's not like he was tortured and then gave in. I mean, he was out. Well, we can go into situations and think it's going to look a certain way, but when stuff starts flying and the pressure's on, we're going to have to hold fast to the Word and believe God and look to Him and trust that He's able to make a way of escape and that it will bring us through if we'll look to Him. Otherwise, we are going to go down. We will, and if we don't look to Him and believe it, the pressure can push us off. And we know that it's not enough, that we know that there is a way out. We know that God's grace is sufficient. But in the middle of the situation is a lot different than before the situation or after the situation. Or somebody else's situation. Well, if I were in that situation, I would do such and such. If you've never been in the situation, then we should just be quiet, and we don't know what we would do in the situation. Now, some people go through things you've never done. Don't presume to know what you would do. We don't know what we would do in somebody else's situation. What we can do is give people the word and help them in a very humble and respectful way here. I mean, this is what the word says and let individuals with the Word of God and the Spirit of God chart their, their path and what God is telling them to do. Let's look at James 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. That's what we're talking about, enduring temptation. The temptation is coming, but you're not yielding. See, it's coming, it's pushing, but you're walking through it. It's still there, still there, still there, still there. Get to the other side. You endured it. You came out on top. That's the goal. Because if you can do that without every one of these temptations mentioned in the parable, the temptations of life, then you will bear fruit, period. What else, what other uh, ending is there? Because if you endure the temptation to doubt, to quit, to sin, you're going to win. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. It's very important. If you, if you think it's God tempting you, then you're done to begin with. Look at what it said. I, don't... Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by, by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin, 
And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So first, don't let ourselves say, it says don't let anybody say when we're tempted that we're tempted by God. In other words, God's not setting us up. God's not the one bringing the problem. Don't say that. That's the devil bringing the problem, and he's trying to get you to blame God. Because if he can get you to blame God, who is your help, you're up a creek at that point. If God is your help, and you think he's the problem, then you're going to go away from him, you're going to push against him, you're going to not do what he says, and you're going to think he's the problem, when and all the while, Satan is the problem. He's trying to blame God, because if he can get you to blame God, then you just cut off your help. But notice what it does say. So it, it's not, don't say I'm tempted by God because God is not tempting. He's not bringing problems, evil problems into somebody's life to tempt them. That would be unjust. It says, verse 13, I, don't say I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt himself, tempt anyone. So that's not God. Everybody say, it's not God bringing problems into my life or temptation. It's not God. He doesn't do that. Verse 14, but let each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See, we don't like this. But what this means is that Satan is going to try to find a vulnerable point. See, we walk in a flesh body. We have a natural mind, and the parts that are not renewed to the Word of God in our mind and our flesh are the access points. That's how Satan tries to get at us, with desires, with emotions, and tries to hit us to be tempted to do the wrong thing. He gets you where your mind is not renewed to the Word of God, where your understanding is dark, where you don't know, just because we don't know everything, we don't see every situation, he takes advantage of that, he brings thoughts to try to get us to yield to his plan and say, God did this, or God's not doing this, or why didn't this happen? And he knows that we don't see everything, but he sees that as an access point. And if we bite, now we start being enticed by his, his temptation. That's what's tempting us is our ignorance in that sense. Your flesh we have flesh. Everybody has flesh. You're going to have flesh to the day. When you don't have flesh, that means you're out of the earth. When your body separates from your, your spirit separates from your body, like a glove uh, or a hand slipping out of a glove, then we call that death. Actually, you're very much alive. Your spirit man is very much alive. Your body is separated, and it, it doesn't animate anymore. It just, we call that being dead. But really, the person is alive. But as long as you live in this body, you're going to have the flesh to contend with. There will never be a time where you have the flesh... There's no contention. You will have to keep it under, as the Apostle Paul said. That doesn't mean it's dead and it doesn't try to, try to push itself up. It wants what it wants. And we have to control it. We have to put it down. But Satan will try to push us through our flesh. Get you. That's why if he can get you tired, if he can get you fatigued. Somebody said, fatigue makes a coward of, all, of us all. If he can get you, you know, uh, emotionally strained in an area you know, get you hungry, get you 
at odds with somebody, he can hit you in that area and get start driving you there. Then get into your emotions. And if he gets you going with your emotions, he can drive you in a direction. That, in those temptations then, you're being enticed by your desires. Not that you're trying to even set out. Sometimes it's just evil desires, just outright. But it, it says it's own desires and enticed. Stuff you want. Your mind wants. Your uh, flesh wants. That those are access points for the devil. That's how he pushes in. That's how he tempts. Now, there is a way of escape, but we have to recognize it. And if the way of escape, or I should say it like this, if our desire for something else is stronger than looking to God for the way of escape, that desire will win and the temptation will rule us. But if we can say, no, God has a way out, and look to him, God said he's faithful to help us get out. And then we stand. That's how we endure. That's how we get through. And God always has a way through. No devil can take you out of the hand of God. The devil and his imps need our cooperation. They have to have your cooperation. Because we have authority over him. We have the spirit of almighty God inside of us. He cannot just come in and take over. He's got to have our cooperation. And the primary way he does this is by getting through our flesh and our mind. But if we know the word of God, then we can push back. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. The word says a number of times God is able we read God is able to deliver us out of temptation. He's, he's able to deliver us, or uh, excuse me, keep us from stumbling. Here it says, the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now that doesn't mean nothing will ever hit us. It means he's guarding us. We have to cooperate with him. But we don't have to do it in and of our own selves. We just have to say, God, what would you have me to do? Keep our eyes on him. So stuff tries to hit us. We're guarded because he said he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. That means you can't lose if you look to him for the way out and the way through and what to do. You cannot lose. In other words, Satan can't come in and just whip you out of hand. He cannot do it. He'll tell you he can do it. He'll tell you he is doing it. He'll tell you you're losing right now. There is no way. Look, dummy, you're going down. And it's not true. Because God said there's a way out. This is the battle. This is where he's trying to get us to agree with him and say, yes, there's no way out. Well, you're done then. But God said that here he said he'll guard you from the evil one. That means there is a guard. But he'll try to, he's not, if you're going to walk in this earth, there are going to be tribulations. There are going to be thoughts come. It's what we do with them. John 17, 14, we're going to read a few verses to this effect. John 17, verse 14 says, I have given them your word, this Jesus, and the world has hated them because they, because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you, you should take them out of the world. <laughs> See, sometimes we wish we would just, I don't want to deal with this nonsense anymore. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to mess with this. You know, somebody, you know, Brother Hagin said, this guy came up to him and said, I have a prayer request. Well, what's the prayer request? I want you to pray that the devil leave me alone. And Brother Hagin looked at him and said, you want me to pray that you'll die? Because that's the only way 
in this life, the devil's going to leave you alone. But sometimes, you know, you wish just, I, I'm done. I, I don't want to deal with this nonsense anymore. Anybody be honest enough to say that? You, you, you deal with the stuff. It doesn't mean that you want to die. It doesn't mean you want to leave, but you just don't want to deal with stuff. The, the world is fallen. People are, that follow the devil unknowingly are crazy. The world is crazy. Now Jesus says, verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, so we're still in the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. See, we're still in the world. We're still going to be facing stuff. We're still going to face the evil one, but we're kept. But it, it doesn't happen just automatically. We need to cooperate. It's happening. It's there. The potential's there. We need, though, to look to God in the middle. Otherwise, he'll push in. But he can't do it without our cooperation. He can't do it in a vacuum, just like, oh, I'm going to pick you out. I'm going to pick you off and you off and you off. Otherwise, see, if the devil, if the devil you know, is pushing on you, you got thoughts to the negative, I'm taking you out, I'm taking you out, this is what's going to happen. You're going down this time. Why didn't you ask him sometime, why haven't you already done it already if you're so big and bad and can just do it anytime you want? Why didn't he take you out last week? Why are you even breathing right now? Because he can't. Because he would just take out every Christian just like that then. He's not that powerful. He needs to wiggle his way in and get people to agree with him. And of course the world that is not under protection whatsoever and has not made Jesus their Lord, they can be picked off anytime. And they are. And Christians that don't know the truth. You know, some Christians are deceived and believe that God is doing evil, and they actually side in with the devil against them. When there's a sickness or disease, they don't actually believe it's of the devil. They believe it's of God. So they may try to do medical things, but they're not believing it's God's. They, they're, they're like thinking, well, it may be God's will for me to be taken out. At the same time, they're going to the doctor trying to get it taken care of. So they're, they're I'm not making fun. They're confused, and so they're not fully pushing against something, saying there's no way this is of the devil. I'm not taking it. They're saying it's probably God. i got to go through this. Of course, I'm going to do what I can to try to alleviate the pain, but at the end of the day, I might die. Well, you're done. You medical, uh, medical uh, science may be able to help you, but it's not the same as going unilaterally against evil and knowing that it's not of God. Look at John uh, 10, verse 27. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they, that, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. That's our Father. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, if, you, if, some, if the devil can entice you to get out of the hand and kind of listen to him, now he can hit you. But he can't just come down and just take you out. Can't do it. But he can tempt you. He can bring stuff. And the question is, are we going to bite? Are we going to say, oh, we're going down? Are we going to say, oh, it's too much? We have to say, no, it's not. God's making a way out, and even this time, I'm going over. 
and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to bear fruit. Let's look at Psalm 94, verse 17. Just looking at a few verses along this line, God is able to help us. He's able to get us to the other side. There is no test that's too great. We can endure and we can get to the point where we bear fruit. The psalmist said in Psalm 94, 17, Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. I mean, you'd be dead. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, Lord, will, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your, you, your comforts delight my soul. He's saying, I'm slipping, I'm falling, it's pushing on me, but Lord, you're there to give me a way to keep from slipping. So you feel like you're slipping. You feel like I'm going down. The devil tell you you're going down. The circumstances may look like you're going down. You may think I'm just being foolish to think I'm not going down. But God's mercy is there. His help is there. And if we'll look to him and say, Lord, I don't see how, but I will hold to you. Help me. He will help us to stand and get through and be to the other side. And he'll comfort us all the way through. Doesn't matter what the situation is. If it's in front of us, we have a way out. Finally, Romans 14, 4. It says, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will, make, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. God is able to make him stand. He's talking about the person serving God. That's something we can personalize, say, God is able to make me stand. And that's something we can say. In the middle of trial, in the middle of uh, pressure, we can say, God is able to make me stand. See, you're looking to him, you're saying it doesn't look like it, the pressure's there, the temptation is there, but God is, is uh, able to make me stand is another way of saying there's a way out and I'm going to take it. I don't see it, but God is able to make me stand. Satan will say, there's no way. There's no way. You're going, look, there's no way. God is able to make me stand. God is able to make me stand. I am standing. I will stand. I will endure because God is able to help me and make me stand and endure and come out on the other side without yielding and come out in joy. See, we speak like that because Satan He's trying to get our words to side in with him. And if we'll push back and say, no, this is what the word said. This is what's going to happen. We're decreeing what Almighty God has said, and we're decreeing it in our life, and that's how we get through. Amen.